Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. about the video i'm saying like that worship time like it really was a blessing this morning we need to be reminded of that that there's power in jesus name Uh, and that we're not just living alone in this life but we need these reminders that's why it's important for us to be together and it's a it's just i'm grateful this morning to be with you and for those of you who are online just thank you for joining us But I just want to remind you of that truth. I hope it'll sit with you this week. Maybe that's a song you want to return to in the car this week as a reminder. And and actually, that's the power of where we are in the story right now. Because uh, we're at the end of the Old Testament today. So if you've been struggling to keep up with your, you know, the story reading, or maybe you're new to us, you're going, what is the story? The story is a 31-week journey through the story, the overarching narrative of Scripture. And uh, so we've been in that kind of prophet section after the kingdom of Israel. And I think part of the design of the story is you get in these prophets and you're like, can we just get to Jesus, right? (laughs) And uh, that's what we just sung about is this hope we have in Jesus. So next week we're going to come and we're going to actually have Christmas in February this year because we're going to be talking about the birth story next week. So if you get a chance, get the story if you uh, haven't gotten a copy yet. We have more in the back, so I'd love to help you find one if you're new to us, if you're in the room, if you need a copy. Read chapter 22 in preparation for next week, and we'll be focused next week on the birth of Jesus. But this week, we finish and complete the Old Testament. And uh, I'm excited about this message, even though it's maybe a lesser worn part of my Bible than uh, what we'll get to next week. Let's pray together. God, I I ask this morning that you would break every chain. God, that the slavery and the bondage, that the, the, the things that hold us back, the sins that so easily entangle us, that you would remind us that those things are forgiven through the blood of Jesus on the cross. That your Holy Spirit works in those of us who've committed ourselves to you and to your name. So God, today, I pray that we would have a sense of cleansing about us, a sense of forgiveness, a sense of being able to move forward. And God, give us hope this morning as we look forward to next week in the story of Jesus. There's hope to be found this week as well, not just in the thing we're looking forward to, but in the midst of the challenges we face today. And so this morning, God, I pray you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, last week we were in the book of Esther, which is a great story about the people of God as they're in exile. We spoke a few weeks before about Daniel, another great story about these people of God that they've, they've sinned, they've been kicked out of the land of Jerusalem, 
They're now living in exile in these foreign nations, but God is present among them. But it was two weeks ago we talked about a story I want to pick back up on today. We talked about the story of the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. King Cyrus had uh, allowed these uh, Jewish people to go back to Jerusalem to begin the rebuilding effort. Zerubbabel is the name of the guy who goes back to start this effort, and there's 50,000 people who've been stirred in their hearts to go and start this rebuilding project. And it was a struggle. They started out strong. Like a lot of us, when we have a project, they, they got distracted. And for 16 years, the temple sat in, in shambles. It was an abandoned construction site. Finally, they're reminded by Haggai the importance of completing the temple, and they're able to do it, and they're able to have worship once again with their God. Today's story picks up after the completion of that story, after the completion of the temple being rebuilt. I want to pick up in the book of Ezra this morning, Ezra chapter 7. I'll start reading in verse 1, and bear with me as I read some of these names, because even though it's a little later in the morning, it's still a challenge for me. After these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, son of Shariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, now you know why these names are a challenge, the son of Mareoth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abishua, here we are, maybe a little more familiar for you. The son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Some of the Israelites, including priests, Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, and temple servants, also came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. <clears throat> Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived. <clears throat> excuse me. He arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Now, I want you to consider with me for a moment how remarkable this story is. Here you have a pagan king from Persia, Artaxerxes, who decides, yes, the temple has been rebuilt, but you know what's needed next? Not a military commander we're going to send into Jerusalem, not a political leader. He sends in a priest, a guy named Ezra, to go in and teach and instruct the people in the law of the Lord. Yes, the law of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And I think this is a powerful lesson about the influence that we have on people around us. Here's a pagan king who's been influenced along with a lot of other pagan kings in these different places, Babylon and Assyria and Persia. So much so that he thinks what we've got to do next is make sure that these people who go back to Jerusalem, they have a priest to make sure they know the law of the Lord because we don't want them to get off track again. Just think back, back over the past several weeks and the influence the Jewish people have had on kings during the exile. Daniel lived during the time of four different kings. The first of those was Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who was the king over Babylon. He was the one that, uh, that Daniel interpreted his dream. And, and there was the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the statue in the fiery furnace. The next king is a guy named Belshazzar, and Belshazzar uh, was there when the writing, uh, the handwriting happens on the wall in the story of Daniel. Maybe you remember that from our reading a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago. 
And then there's the King Darius. He was the one when Daniel goes in the lion's den, who in the end proclaims, your God is God. You were protected from the lions. What a remarkable story. And then finally, Cyrus. Cyrus, the one who allows him to go back and to rebuild the temple and begin that effort. And during those years, the kings saw Daniel's faith. They saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faith. Darius even proclaimed that God, the God of Israel, was God. It's remarkable. And then last week we talked about Esther. Esther was uh, married to a guy named Xerxes, who was the king over Persia. And this Xerxes, while it never seems he put his faith in God, he saw the faithfulness of the Jewish people because Esther was the one who had saved them from this despicable plan of a guy named Haman. So the king in Ezra 7, Artaxerxes, is the son of King Xerxes. Now, it may be Esther's son, most likely not. There were lots of wives that Xerxes had, but Artaxerxes, this king now, likely saw the faith of Esther and Mordecai. And in the, because of that, she sends this, or he, he sends Artaxerxes, Ezra, to go back and instruct the people of God. So, who is Ezra? Well, I, I read through a long list of names that are hard to pronounce, but that's his family tree. And it goes all the way back to. Eleazar, who was the son of Aaron the high priest. If you remember Moses back in the story of the Exodus who parts the Red Sea, Moses' brother is Aaron, and Aaron is the first priest over Israel. So this Ezra doesn't just come from any line. He comes from the direct lineage of Aaron, the brother of Moses. He comes from a long line of priests. But just because he has an ancestry of faith doesn't mean he doesn't need to instruct himself and to study and know the law of the Lord. Some of us have grown up in faithful families. Some of us have grown up in families where we didn't learn much the story of God. But if you've grown up in a faithful family, that's something to be grateful for. But I want to tell you, you can't stop just because you have a heritage of faith. You have to study the law of the Lord yourself as well. You have to grow in God's understanding. And that's what Ezra does. I love the description of Ezra in Ezra chapter 7, verse 6. It says, he was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. King Artaxerxes picked the right man for the job. And King Artaxerxes does it better than a lot of the kings in Israel ever did it uh, when they were living in the land. Remember, I mentioned that King Cyrus had sent Zerubbabel and 50,000 people to uh, rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And Artaxerxes uh, sends Nehemiah in order to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. But I want you to hear me about this this morning because they could have constructed the temple and they could have rebuilt the wall, but if they didn't establish the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord at the center of these people, it doesn't matter that the temple's rebuilt. It doesn't matter that the wall's been built around it. This is true in our own lives. I've seen it again and again with people that I minister to, that I'm, I'm in counseling with, with premarital counseling that I do for couples that are starting out. We plan and we make sure that we, we get the wedding set just right. And we, we make our plans. We build a house. We, we get our kids in the right schools. We, we live in the right area. We make all of these plans. But I'm here to tell you, you can make all the right plans, but if the law of the Lord is not the center of your life, it doesn't matter all the other plans that you lay in place. And that's why God gave the law to the people of Israel when they leave Exodus. They leave Exodus, they're free, but they can't go to the promised land until they go to Mount Sinai and they receive the commands of God because it's those commands that are going to teach them to live differently than the people in Egypt had taught them to live with all the gods that they worshipped. A rebuilt temple and a rebuilt wall are worthless 
without the law of the Lord at the center. But don't miss this irony. It is a pagan king who sends Ezra to lead the people of God back to the law. I love how this works. God allowed his people to end up in captivity in a pagan nation because they had forgotten the law of God. And now it's this pagan nation that's sending them back to the land and saying, don't forget to put the law at the center of your lives. Isn't it ironic when the world sees what we ought to be doing before we even do it? And that's the story that we find here in this story of Ezra. There's a phrase at the end of verse 9 that I really like. Let me read again Ezra 9, the last part. For the gracious hand of his God was on him. We actually see this phrase show up again and again in this reading. It it happens throughout this story as we read through Ezra's story. The hand of God was upon him. The gracious hand of God was upon him. I want that description to be the description for my life, for my family, for this church family. Don't you want the same thing? The gracious hand of God was on him in his lifetime and, and her in her lifetime. Why was the Lord's gracious hand on Ezra? Well, we actually find out some reasons why that's the case. I want to read on in in, in Ezra 9. I want to reread that section, but I want you to pay attention to what comes in verse 10 on the backside because I think it instructs us how we can have the hand of God on our lives as well. For the gracious hand of his God was on him, for Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. There are three reasons that are given there. Why was the Lord uh, the hand of the Lord on him? For these reasons. For he was devoted to studying the law of the Lord, and he observed the law of the Lord, and he taught the laws of God in all of Israel. First, he studied the law of the Lord. This is actually the reason we're doing this story right now, is it can be easy to forget the story that we've given our lives to. It can be easy to forget the precepts, the commands, the the ideals of how God instructs us to live. And so it's important that we study them. And Ezra is someone who had done that. He had gotten God's Word within him. And because of that, I believe that that, that along the way, his desires were God's desires because he was uh, continually putting uh, the, the, the study of God on his heart. That's what we need to continue to do, and that's why we're here. But it's not enough to just study the the law of the Lord. It goes on, secondly, to say that Ezra obeyed the law of the Lord. He observed the, the laws of the Lord. He didn't just stop at studying it. Once he studied it, he did it. He put it into practice. Now, the order of this verse is extremely important for us to pay attention to. He studied it, he did it, and then he taught it. Now, a lot of us over the years, we've heard the Word of the Lord. Maybe we've studied it, but we've never actually tried to put it into practice as we should. Or maybe we need to return to that. And there's others like me that we study the law of the Lord, and then we jump immediately to trying to teach the law of the Lord. But that's not the order that Ezra does it in. He studies the law of the Lord, he puts it into practice, and then he teaches it to others. That's why God's hand was on Ezra. Every time we spend time reading Scripture, I believe there are two questions we should ask, the first two parts of this. What is God saying to us in this story? What is it that we can learn from it, but we don't end there? Then the question is, what do we do about it? What is God calling us to do as a result of the truth that he's delivered to us? What am I going to do about it? Because when we do the word, the Lord, it brings understanding that we wouldn't have if we just understood it or could quote it. 
In one sense, you don't really understand the Word of the Lord when you study it. It's only when you put it into practice that you begin to be wise. That's what Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount is the wise person is the one who hears the words of God and puts it into practice. The foolish person, it's not that they didn't hear or study the Word of God. They, they just didn't put it into practice. Psalm 119, verse 100, this is what David has to say about understanding in a similar way that I just read. David says, I have more understanding than the elders. Why? For I obey your precepts. Almost 100 years ago, a guy named Oswald Chambers, some of you may have read, read his devotionals often, but he wrote this, uh, these words that I think are significant about this idea of obedience and understanding. He wrote, all God's revelations are sealed until they are opened to us by obedience. You will never get them open by philosophy or thinking. Immediately you obey and a flash of light comes. Let God's truth work in you by soaking in it, not by worrying into it. The only way you can get to know it is to stop trying to find out. Obey God in the thing he shows you, and instantly the next thing is opened up. One reads volumes on the work of the Holy Spirit when five minutes of drastic obedience would make things as clear as a sunbeam. I suppose I shall understand these things someday. You can understand them now. It is not study that does it, but obedience. The tiniest fragment of obedience and heaven opens and the profoundest truths of God are yours straight away. So first, Ezra studies meditates on the law of the Lord, and then he obeys, he observes the law of the Lord, and then third, Ezra taught the law of the Lord. When Ezra studied and practiced the law of the Lord, then he has a testimony to offer about the obedience that he's given. And that's what, what doesn't work for us. When we hear people that just kind of give rote ideas about Scripture, but they haven't lived it out, you can tell that this is just a bunch of words. But when you actually apply the words of Scripture, all of a sudden there are experiences you have that become your testimony to give to others about the truth of God's Word. That's why the order that, I love how this is, the, the, the hand of the Lord, the gracious hand of the Lord was on Ezra for he studied the law of the Lord, he observed the law of the Lord, he taught the law of the Lord. The best teaching we can ever give in our lives is not because we know all the commands of God alone. But it's because we put those things into practice and all of a sudden we have a story to give to others about our obedience. It's the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, right? When we put it into practice and we're able to tell stories. That's the most valuable uh, evangelistic opportunity you have with neighbors and friends is the experience you've had with God. It's not just quoting the Ten Commandments. That's not enough on its own. It's what happened when I actually decided that I was going to honor my father and mother. What happened when I actually uh, honored the Sabbath and kept it holy? And what did God do as a result of that? What happens when the fruit of the Spirit get born out in our lives? Ezra had a teaching to give the people because he'd studied it and he had observed it. And now he can teach it in an incredibly powerful way. Our journey through the story has given every one of us the opportunity to do these three things to study the law of the Lord, to understand the story of God, to, to put it into practice. What is God asking me to do as a result of this knowledge I now have? And then to, to tell others about the impact that's made on our lives. Uh, this morning, I, we're about to close our study of the Old Testament. I know we've often talked in Churches of Christ about how we're a New Testament church, but there are things that are going to come alive as we walk into the New Testament over the next uh, nine or ten weeks 
They're going to be an opportunity for us to see Jesus in an entirely new light because of what we've learned before. To realize that Jesus is fulfilling words and prophecies that came long before he ever walked the earth. There's this longing for the people of God in this moment. They've got the temple. They've got wall rebuilt around Jerusalem. Now Ezra has instructed them in the law of the Lord, but there's still something missing. There's this hint that things are not right. And doesn't it feel that way today, right? In those days, they longed for a Messiah who would come and would save them from their sins. But in our own day, aren't we waiting on the same thing? Not the first arrival of the Messiah, but the second arrival, right? That Jesus would come again. We all long for that day if we have the certainty and the hope in our hearts that Jesus has come to restore us, to redeem us. But there's this longing for something more. And I hope next week as we come to Christmas in February, that maybe it will be that reminder to us again that just as those uh, who were waiting on Jesus got to celebrate Him that first time, we have a longing and an anticipation that that day will come again. And then we'll get to experience the same joy. Our Old Testament ends with a hint that things are not complete. Like the end of the season of your favorite TV show, it ends with a a cliffhanger of sorts in Malachi. And so I want to turn there right now. This is the final book in your Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, the final words that we find in the Old Testament. It's here that we find hope, and it's here that we find warning, but it's here that that kind of ellipsis and the to be continued comes that sets us up for next week. Malachi 4 verse 4, listen to this. Remember the law of my servant Moses. The decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. Yeah, before the cliffhanger comes, he says, no, don't forget what we've taught all along. Don't forget the law that's been handed to you. Remember the law that Moses gave. But then he leans forward. He says, something new is coming. Verse 5, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. I love the first verse, word of verse 5. See. This is what happens to Saul when he's on the road to Damascus. We'll tell this story later, right? He has this uh, the bright light experience. And all of a sudden, he's going to see the world in a completely new way when he's opened up from his blindness. What it means to be a follower of Jesus is to begin to see in new ways Jesus says this in the New Testament. Keep watch. You don't know what time of the night this is going to happen. Jesus doesn't even know. It's only the Father who knows when Christ is going to return. Keep watch. Keep alert. See. And that's the encouragement of Malachi. Keep your eyes open for what's about to come. God is still planning to send this prophet Elijah. And that's a little confusing. Elijah came and went on a fiery chariot to heaven. Is is Elijah coming back? What is this? We'll talk about that in the coming weeks about the messenger who will come before Jesus. But this Jesus, this Messiah, is going to turn the hearts of the people to their children and children to their parents. And there's also that or else there. Or else total destruction will come. It's a little bit of an ominous ending. And yet there's hope as well. Keep watch. Keep your eyes open. We're just getting started in this story. The story isn't over. To be continued. This morning, I want to just close with encouragement for you that it's been a little bit of a long journey through the Old Testament. I think we're all longing for something new. And these pages we're about to open, they may feel real familiar. But the same God who inspired these words to be written can still inspire our hearts as we open these stories that maybe we've heard several times before. And maybe this is new to you. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing these stories. And if that's the case, we're so glad that you're with us. 
We hope you'll join in and you'll read ahead next week in chapter 22, the birth stories of Jesus. And we're excited for what God's going to do in these coming weeks. But again, I want to remind you of this. God's hand was gracious upon Ezra because he studied the law of the Lord. He observed the law of the Lord and he taught the law of the Lord. I want to challenge you to those three things this week. How are you going to spend time studying and understanding the story of God? Chapter 22, the story is a great way to do that. How are you going to ask the question, what is this calling me to do as a result of what I've read? And then who is it that I can teach and instruct that I can tell my testimony of what God's done? I want to challenge you in those ways this week to be in the Word, to do the Word, to teach the Word. Let's pray as we close. God, we thank you for the fact that you've broken every chain as we sang a moment ago and that it's the power of Jesus that gives us... uh, hope in our lives, God. And just as that Old Testament ends with a to-be-continued, our lives are still waiting on its completion. Our, our lives are still waiting on the, the hope of the new heavens and the new earth, the return of Jesus, the restoration of our relationship with you. And God, yet we don't have to wait on that because your Holy Spirit lives in those of us who claim Jesus as Lord, who've been baptized in his name. And so God, I I just want to ask right now that we can feel that sense. And God, if we haven't made that decision yet, maybe this is the week, maybe this is the morning that we want to be baptized into Christ so that we can know the confidence for the hope that we have in a personal way. God, I thank you so much that the story's not finished and that you're still writing hopeful words. We look forward to getting to those next week. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I'll be standing now as we close our time this morning. <clears throat> Again, study the law of the Lord. Observe the law of the Lord. Teach the law of the Lord. May you, my brothers and sisters, generously share the abundant life that is promised to you in Christ Jesus. Go in peace today. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Make sure to give us a rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.